0: Hello, folks, and thanks for tuning in to AOA here, the first broadcast of AOA for 2023. The markets are trading. We're going to discuss the action in the trade with Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst with Barchart, here in just a moment. And in segment two, we're going to talk with our friend John Barank of DTN Weather. We're going to get the lowdown on the winter storm that's moving through the central part of the plains today and what to expect as this week wears on. And in segment three, Ethan Lane. Vice President of Government Affairs at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association is going to join us just before the New Year's Eve weekend. Literally Friday afternoon, EPA released their newest Waters of the U.S. definition. And we're going to talk to Ethan about just what that means for the ag industry and cattle producers specifically when we get to talking with him later on in the program. For now, though, we are going to see how this New Year's holiday is impacting the trade. Darren Newsom joins us from Bar Chart. Darren, thanks for joining us today. about that darren had you on mute thanks for joining (laughs) us today let's talk about what's happening in these markets as we watch the trade here to start the day it certainly doesn't seem like there's a lot of life at least in the grain trade
2: no a little bit quiet um you know the first thing that grabbed my attention early tuesday morning was a strong rally in the u.s dollar index we saw we saw that we saw the dollar index up 130 some points uh you know right off the bat So, you know, the anticipation is just by going by the old, you know, if if, uh, dollar strong commodities have to be weaker, we were anticipating, you know, maybe the different sectors coming under a little bit of pressure. We've seen it in the energies. Uh, again, not a huge surprise. We're seeing some pressure in the energies. Uh, early trade mixed in grains and oilseeds. But what's, what jumps out at me also is, you know, the metals are, are showing some pretty good strength in here. Gold's got a nice rally going to start the day, start the week. Uh, so we'll see how all this plays out. You know, and most importantly, we'll see if the dollar can hold some of its gains through the close.
0: All right, we're watching that value in the dollar. Darren, for those investment money managers who can shape our markets and definitely impact the prices at the bottom line, what are they watching for as a new year, new quarter, new everything gets started here in the month of January?
2: Yeah, you know, I think the biggest thing is, what what are the long-term trends in all of these investment markets? And, you know, I've still got a long-term downtrend in the dollar, meaning I think it's going to weaken over the course of 2023. So, I mean, this, you know, logically should bring some money back into commodities Uh, But which ones? I mean, which ones have the most bullish fundamentals right now? It's probably corn. Uh, Probably corn still looks the best, but I have to temper that a bit. If I look at the corn monthly chart, it's still in a long-term downtrend as well. So we could see it go up uh, maybe the first quarter, maybe second, uh, and then not take out uh, the 2022 highs put some highs in place and and then possibly start to move lower again. The other thing I've also seen one thing that could limit the rallies in, in some of these commodities is that I also see long term uptrends going in the in the US stock indexes. So, you know, I think over the course of time, we may we may close lower January, we may close lower February, but I think over the course of the year, we're going to see all three major stock indexes move higher. Big questions, NASDAQ, the high tech, you know, how much pressure is, you know, Tesla and others going to continue to put on that. But I think it's going to I think those indexes are going to draw in some investment money and possibly keep some money coming from coming into uh, the commodities different than what we saw last year.
0: Well, and Darren, as that money continues to change the way it flows to the global financial system, of course, the mm-hmm. backdrop as we start 2023 continues to be that Russian war in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. We see that heating back up yet again. Certainly sounds like it's going to be an active year. How should farmers be preparing for continued volatility in the markets?
2: Yeah, and this to me is well, a fascinating point because we're starting to see a lot more talk in, in ag media about, you know, not only what, they didn't what ukraine did not produce last year but the fact that they didn't get anything planted and they're not and they're not thinking about planting anything in 2023 so we're looking at a year when global crop production is going to continue to to take a hit and what jumped out at me at the at the at the, at the in my monthly analysis was if i look at the bar chart national software winter wheat price index on its monthly chart software and winter wheat posted a bullish spike reversal this tells me maybe out of all the grains The one with the least bullish fundamentals, Soft Red Winter Wheat, looks like it's poised to go into a long-term uptrend as we start the new years. Certainly something to watch and obviously tied to the situation in Ukraine.
0: How should we capitalize on that, Darren? Hold off on making some sales. Do you want to be buying some calls in this market now? What are your thoughts on managing that potential risk that's out there?
2: you know if we're past december so i think i think you're going to see some traders start to get long the the chicago wheat market you know this is where this is where non-commercials have actually been comfortable holding a short so the first thing we're going to see is that that group i would anticipate that group uh covering that short position and possibly going long you know, I, I don't think there's going to be a lot of producers making forward sales. It's just hard to do in winter wheat anyway. But if, you know, from an investment point of view, you could see some buying coming into the futures market. There's still a little bit of carry in there. So you, you could be seeing some buying coming into there. You could see some you could see some calls being bought. I, I would probably shy away from that right now. I think volatility is still pretty low. So you can probably get some pretty good value on some of those longer term calls. It's hard to get overly excited about soft red winter wheat because, again, it still has the most the least bullish fundamentals of of the of the sector. Uh, but I do think there's going to be an opportunity in here to see soft red winter move higher because of the global problems. Okay, Darren. While we're thinking
0: globally here, I've seen one incredible rally in the soybean meal market starting in December. It has rallied mm-hmm. up substantially. Now it's hanging out there that uh, March contract there in the mid four sixties for end users who are looking ahead to needing some meal supply in this first second quarter 2023 is this a buying opportunity or can we lose some of this premium in the near
2: term yeah that's 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 a great question mike because you can't. it's hard to sell a new contract high. And we saw March being a new contract high uh, last week. So there's no indication that it's going to go down anytime soon. So if you're going to need to get some coverage in place, you know, it's, it would tell you that it's probably not a bad idea. It's an inverted market. It's this, it's that, it's everything else. But on the other hand, from a from a hedging point of view, you just hate to lock in near the highs. Uh, you hope to get a little and, and there's that there's that four letter word when it comes to marketing. But you hope that, you know, it comes down a little bit and gives you a bit better buying opportunity. I think we have to watch it close and we don't want this thing to run away from us. I can't imagine there's a, a huge amount of buying coming in at four sixty. Bottom line is it's going to stay hot and dry in Argentina. They're the the world's number one exporter of soybean meal. So until we see some sort of weather change, and it'll be interesting to hear what uh, what John has to say in the next segment, but until we see some sort of weather change in Argentina, maybe best to get some on the books
0: darren i want to circle back to a comment you made early on in our discussion which is that on the long-term chart you see the uptrend still developing in the equity markets and Mm -hmm. that boggles my mind after last year's drawdowns can you talk Mm -hmm. about what you're watching for price targets
2: yeah you know what we saw in october was all three indexes but i'm going to focus mostly on the s p and the dow jones because nasdaq's a little shaky uh but what we saw in the s p was one of the reversal patterns that i really look for uh, as it posted uh, a bullish spike reversal. And so we closed higher in October and November. Then we closed lower in December. So if we if we apply what I like to call the Benjamin Franklin fish similarity, which tells us like guests and fish, markets start to stink in this case after three months of moving against the trip, we could see December, January, and February all close lower, possibly testing that low down around 3490 before finding some binding again, then start to move higher.
0: All right, keep an eye on these markets. It is likely going to be another volatile year. Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst at BarChart, joins us today. And Darren, we appreciate your insight.
2: Thanks so much for having me on again, Mike.
0: And folks, stick around. We're going to talk through weather and how it could impact those markets with John Baranik of DTN Weather in just a moment. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA. Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Join us every Tuesday for Round the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more.
3: The archaeological record suggests that wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent, also known as the Cradle of Civilization, around 9600 B.C. The Roman goddess Ceres, who was deemed protector of the grain, gave grains their common name today, cereal. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. The first bagel rolled into the world in 1683 when a baker from Vienna, Austria, was thankful to the king of Poland for saving Austria from Turkish invaders, the baker reshaped the local bread so that it resembled the king's stirrup. The new bread was called bugel, derived from the German word for stirrup. Ancient traditional tortillas were made from ground corn by Mexican natives as long as 2,000 years ago. However, flour tortillas only started to become popular in the 19th century. More types of foods are made with wheat than with any other cereal grain. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Egg Network.
1: going to need me you're going to need us
4: all of us
5: you're going to need our technical skills
4: our math our engineering skills
5: you're going to need our help with your water
1: your air your food you're going to need our
5: organizational skills our problem-solving skills
4: You're going to need our determination, our honesty, our compassion.
5: You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise we'll be there when you need us. Today,
6: 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us
2: at 4-H.org.
0: welcome back ladies and gentlemen across north america of course this time of year the conversation is on winter weather who's going to see what and how much but globally of course we're still watching out for crop development across the southern hemisphere we're keeping an eye on the dryness and heat across argentina and what to expect out of brazil well meteorologists who focus on agriculture study these things and one of those is john baranik meteorologist over at DTN weather and john thanks for joining us today yeah and happy new year mike good to talk to you Happy New Year to you as well, John, and for a lot of folks, listeners right now across the Dakotas, parts of Minnesota, Nebraska, folks that have seen plenty of snow over the past two weeks, they're looking at a little bit more, aren't they?
6: Yeah, we've had a couple of really big storm systems move through here, uh, the central northern plains, upper Midwest over the last month or so, and um, yeah, we're getting another big one here uh, today and uh, tomorrow, so we've we've really... um, this system that's moving through doesn't have a whole lot of cold air, but it's got enough of it. And it's uh, ingested a whole lot of, of moisture from the Gulf of Mexico that pumped in over the uh, holiday weekend and is uh, really turned into quite a a nasty snowstorm here. So already in Nebraska and into parts of South Dakota, we've seen over a foot of snow that's going to head Northeast through uh, Southern Minnesota into Western Wisconsin here later today. Uh, And it really doesn't wrap up and, and end until kind of, early on Thursday as it finally moves its way eastward. So uh, a lot of heavy snow um, actually mixed with some ice in there as well. Some freezing rain over Northwest Iowa and Southern Minnesota, uh, central Wisconsin as well. So kind of a, a mixed bag of precipitation, but, you know, it, it's kind of interesting. I, I, I mentioned it's, it doesn't have a whole lot of cold air. It's actually pretty warm far to the south of that. I mean, we got temperatures in the 60s and even up in 70s north of the Ohio River. So uh, it's uh, we're, we're in a much milder pattern than we have been, you know, back when we were getting visits from the polar vortex back in December.
0: Well, that's true. The temps are much higher and John, is there the wind element of this storm that we've seen over the last two through the Dakotas? not as not into the extreme that we've
6: seen uh with the other ones no so uh we may end up with some low visibilities we may have some blizzard conditions at times but nothing that would be sustained or be classified as a a technical blizzard it's a pretty big snowstorm there will be some blowing and some drifting but you know getting three hours of 35 mile an hour wind gusts and uh, visibilities a quarter mile or less is is not really going to happen with this storm
0: all right, that's good news, John. Before we move off this particular storm, who's going to see those highest snow totals and what are those going to end up being close to, do you think? Yeah, northern Nebraska and southern South Dakota
6: through kind of southwest Minnesota area there where it's been, and we've like I mentioned, we've already had some heavy snow. We're getting a lot more here today. Uh, a lot of those areas are either close to or over a foot. And um, we're going to be I've already seen a couple of reports of of close to two feet uh, in southeastern South Dakota. I'm not sure I buy that, but there's several of them around there that are kind of 14, 15 already. So getting up close to two feet would not be uh, surprising in the least. It's a pretty
0: dynamic system. All right, folks, if you're in that territory, stay safe. If you're out there moving that snow, it's certainly been a tough couple of weeks for livestock producers in that region. And John, you mentioned this snow is being fueled by all of that moisture out of the Gulf of Mexico. And as I take a look at the national radar right now, it looks like a lot of that moisture is moving right up the Ohio Valley. Who's going to get some severe weather chances over the next day or two?
6: Yeah, yesterday it really started and we kind of saw that over the far eastern plains, eastern Kansas, all the way down to eastern Texas. Uh, And it moved through uh, the Midwest, a good chunk of that. If you're looking at radar now, you're noticing that batch go through kind of Pennsylvania, New York right now. But then we're getting it redeveloped along the cold front, along the Mississippi River, and we'll be pushing eastward. That line there um, has got uh, some pretty good access to both uh, heat, moisture, and then upper air dynamics that really create the severe thunderstorms. So that line as it moves eastward, basically from the Mississippi River to the uh, southern Appalachians here today has the best chance tomorrow to be in the kind of the Carolinas, Georgia area. Uh, so we've got uh, some severe weather. All, all hazards are, are possible. Tornadoes, strong wind gusts
0: and large hail. Oh, gosh. And you know, that part of the country, John, uh, they have been spared the drought that I know a lot of other folks have been dealing with their challenge, as I'm aware has been too much moisture across the delta and farther east. How does this? Uh, how does this change their their overall forecast? Uh, their soil moisture potential?
6: Yeah, and you know, what's, what's kind of interesting is that even though they've had a lot of uh, rain precip- uh, precipitation recently, uh, we've seen the river levels on the lower Mississippi come up quite a bit. Uh, they're still in drought, surprisingly, from Northern Louisiana all the way up into Michigan and, and Western Ohio. Um, but the the rain that's coming through here today should alleviate most, if not all of that. Um, there's also sections kind of down in the Florida Panhandle, uh, Southern Georgia that, that are de- that kind of gotten missed out of a lot of these systems. Um, and so the, the rain coming through here uh, this week, early this week, the next couple of days should help out with that as well. Uh, soil moisture is ov- overall pretty good for, for most areas. I think it's a lot of the long longstanding um, soil moisture deficits or precipitation deficits um, that are kind of leading to a lot of that uh, drought
0: classification at this point. All right, John. Well, while we're thinking about drought, of course, that has been a story, a bull story for the soybean markets. As they look down at the country of Argentina, they've been gripped by drought throughout the the early part of their entire growing season here. What have you seen lately? How has that changed as we come through the new year? Has it what, changed, I guess?
6: Yeah, and I was just going to say it, it really hasn't changed. Um, you know, They've been in this pattern, which is typical of La Nina, where they'll get a front coming through with some scattered showers, and then it's dryness. And then they have to wait for the next front to come through. Uh, not too un, uh, different from what Kansas would usually see during the summer. And so, um, you know, that's kind of th- the pattern they've, they, they've been in. And one that's, you know, hasn't gone away. It doesn't look to go away either. Uh, they had a front go through over um, kind of over the weekend and it brought some showers, but it was a lot of like quarter to a half inch kind of amounts. And when you got temperatures in the upper 80s and lower 90s, Um, you know, inch doesn't go a long way, uh, especially when some of the early, earlier planted corn is really getting in their pollination and grain fill period right now. Um, if, if we can remember back a lot of that planting was delayed, uh, because of the drought and the heat that had gone on. So most of that is kind of their, their late planted corn crop and their soybean crop. Um, and you know, that's only marginally better because they've at least had some rain, um, you know maybe once a week kind of move through but it's it, it's really not enough to, to one turn around drought or soil moisture or to give uh crop conditions a, a boost really uh some of the ratings we've seen out of Argentina have been uh incredibly low in terms of like you know USDA good to excellent ratings up here would would be kind of uh you know 15 percent good to excellent down there in, in Argentina on corn and soybeans so it's,
0: it's really not uh, a good time to be a farmer down there in Argentina. No, it isn't. And it's certainly giving the market some stuff to chew on. However, John, that's the flip side to the story up in Brazil, though especially those northern regions have had adequate moisture. I know those crops are getting close to coming out of the field. Does it look like those combines are going to be able to run, or could that rain be firing up? Yeah, it's a really a tale of two halves here for South America. So while Argentina and far, far
6: southern Brazil have had some issues with the, the dryness and the drought and the heat, um, Central and northern Brazil have had almost perfect conditions. Uh, it didn't start off great early on in the season, but the, the wet season rains have really picked up over the last month and really are continuing. Um, yeah, so as soybeans there, their first crop soybeans are, are starting to fill now. Um, and uh, kind of on a, on a wide scale, really, uh, they're finding really good conditions. Plenty of showers either daily or every other day and um you know that's really going to continue here through the month of january so everything's really looking good for the, for brazil you know we've seen a lot of record forecasts uh for production out of out of the country and looks like those are
0: mostly on track all right with those on track john of course the meteorological community continuing to watch the temperatures of the water in the pacific ocean that la niña do we have any indication that it's moving back towards neutral we do. So it's,
6: it's starting its move. We're getting some warmer water that's well beneath the surface to start moving its way closer to the surface. And uh, that's really helping to kind of eliminate La Nina here. And that will be doing that over the course of the next couple of weeks. Um, however, uh, the atmosphere really takes some time to kind of adjust to the new conditions. So... It may take weeks or even a couple of months to finally get rid of La Nina and its influence uh, over our weather here, not just in North America, but in South America as well.
0: John, for those of us here in North America, what should we watch for as a sign La Nina is fading? Will we see more moisture across the Corn Belt? What we'll see is kind of a more return to normal. Um, During the wintertime, we see
6: uh, a lot of clippers, and we should expect to see that. We're, We're kind of in a break with it right now, but we'll see that kind of coming back either the end of this month or through February um, but what, what you should see is kind of a, a more active storm track um, less clippers moving through more kind of deeper systems kind of what we're seeing now but you know not just over a two or three week period but you know every
0: month Intensify. All right. We'll be watching for that. Certainly a lot of folks in the southern plains would love to see some more moisture in the forecast. And we'll be talking with John Baranek each week for that forecast. Thanks for joining us today, John. And always good to talk to you, Mike. Thanks for having me. Now, stay with us. Ethan Lane, vice president of government affairs at NCBA will join us. We return to talk about what's happening in D.C. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up.
1: You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Happy New Year to you and yours as we take a look at the market trade here this first trading session of 2023 starting off slightly lower across most of the grain and oil seed sector. Beet oil seeing a nice pop to the upside up moderately here as we get going with our first trading day of the year. But corn, soybeans, wheat, all down just a couple of cents or trading right around unchanged here as we work through the session so far. Livestock trade down moderately here early on, led by losses here in the hog market and in feeder cattle with some moderate losses in front month contracts. Crude oil is down about 1%. And last check, down uh, 76 cents a barrel, 79.50. The Dow Jones has uh, taken some of uh, the uh, early gains away, now down 27 points here in early trading as we watch that stock market and just watch the general money flow here as we start a new year. Stock futures traded higher overnight, but struggled to hold those gains. The dollar surging following better-than-expected inflation data in Germany earlier here today as we see that U.S. dollar index currently is up 80 points at 104.07. Now, overall, these markets, especially the grains, going to be watching South American weather here as we progress forward and going to be watching the dryness in Argentina and the good weather still in Brazil as we start to harvest some of those early soybeans in model Grosso. Chinese soybean demand, that's something that slowed over recent weeks as COVID began to spread across the country. Cash sources in China reduced their December-January usage estimates by a combined 1 million metric tons with most of the January loadings now covered. And we're going to start to see that shift of bean sales from Brazil to China instead of the U.S. to China. So that's going to be a storyline to watch here early in the trading year. Again, markets fairly mixed here to slightly lower the grains. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen.
4: What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org.
0: You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Hello, folks, and welcome back to AOA. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're going to talk through some of the actions that are happening in Washington, D.C. And the first thing we are going to address is the waters of the U.S. rule. Of course, if you're a government actor and you've got some policy changes that you want to just slip under the radar, you've got to publish them publicly. And if you want to slide them under the radar, what you do is you publish them on a Friday afternoon just as everybody is leaving. It's called a Friday afternoon news dump and it works great if it's ahead of a holiday weekend, which is what the Biden administration had last Friday when they released their new waters of the US rule. Joining us now for an update on that as well as a take at what to expect on this new Congress as they move into Washington DC is Ethan Lane, Vice President of Government Affairs at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. And Ethan, thanks for joining us today.
7: You bet, happy to be with you.
0: Well, things are starting off with work already here to start the year. WOTUS, Ethan, what did we get from this Biden administration on this new interpretation of the Waters of the U.S. rule?
7: Well, we, we got pretty much what we expected from EPA on, on the new Waters of the U.S. rule. Uh, it's not a rule that, that, that agriculture is particularly happy with. Those are concerns we've voiced repeatedly to the administration. Um, you know, originally in their draft rule, uh, they they had stripped out all of those exemptions for agricultural operations that had been kind of the only bright spot of the previous versions of this rule before the Trump administration's rewrite. Uh, the final rule did see a lot of those restored, which is some progress in the right direction. Although uh, they kind of opened up a new can of worms by establishing what they're calling a case by case framework for evaluating uh, federal nexus on some of these on some of these questionable. I, I, you know waters areas and I would put most of our producers you know operations into that questionable bucket which means um, rather than providing operational certainty this rule in its current form is simply going to add to the uncertainty the producers face Uh, you could have neighbors getting different determinations from EPA on what would be a federal water uh, you know and subject to their jurisdiction or not and that's just simply not a sustainable model to use um, we think that this rule still is going to be probably sideways with whatever the Supreme Court decides on the Sackett case here in the next, uh, in the next few months, um, and, and that certainly is going to keep us on that same track of having a problem um, and serious opposition to the current rule and looking towards the Supreme Court for a little bit of guidance.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that Sackett case, of course, still pending really makes this release interesting. Uh, Ethan, from a perspective of of why? Why did the EPA do this when this Sackett case is coming? Can you talk about what what producers could expect to see between this final rule being rolled out and a sackett decision? I mean, could all of this disappear?
7: Well, it it certainly could be dramatically altered. And you know, we've voiced that as have others, but hey you know, maybe, maybe hit the brakes on this and see what the Supreme Court says before you draft a rule that's going to be immediately questioned by the Supreme Court. Typically, a new rulemaking, you know, would go to court, we would go to the district court, we'd go to the appeals court, it would be years down the road before the Supreme Court heard it. Given the unique timing of an existing case moving to the court system, um, this, this rule is, is, is immediately subject to challenge. Um, and, and that's going to be a really interesting set of circumstances. So as they move to implement it, Um, they could immediately have to draw it back or portions of it, depending on what the Supreme Court says. We never want to presuppose what the Supreme Court may rule, but certainly with that 6-3 majority uh, for conservatives in the court and some of the other rulings we've seen them make regarding federal authority, um, this is something that definitely is going to be in their sights, and and we expect to see something on that. Um, and, And so, you know, we're kind of in a waiting game until then.
0: We're on a waiting game. In the meanwhile, of course, they will begin, I imagine, implementation of this rule. What does that process look like? Ethan, is this a gonna take some time before all these rules are promulgated?
7: Well, it it, it will, but you know, it's gonna now that it's a final rule, it'll happen fairly quickly. And I would guess that in the interim, EPA will lean pretty heavily on that case by case analysis to give themselves some flexibility. You know, nobody likes to have their authority challenged, least of all the federal government. And, and so, you know, coming through the door, guns blazing, so to speak, with a new rule and an and extreme amount of enforcement um, is, is simply not going to be possible for them in this environment, or at least it's not advisable. Um, so I would imagine they're probably going to lean a bit towards that cautionary side while we wait to see what happens at the Supreme Court. I think strategically they wanted to get their marker out there of what they thought this rule should look like, rather than simply be subject to whatever the Supreme Court says. And, you know, if the tables were turned, I can imagine a Republican administration doing something similar the other way, uh, even in the face of, uh, you know, a a possible challenge um, from the highest court in the land. So I I would imagine you're going to see them not, you know, not terribly aggressive um, in their early season enforcement of this while we wait to see this thing shake out. But I've certainly been wrong before, and um, I've certainly been disappointed by the federal government before. So we'll see what we get.
0: Certainly we will. It is always a waiting game. So, Ethan, we've got that happening. EPA hitting the ground running with a new rule. What are the rules and regulations are you watching? Cattle producers need to keep an eye on here as 2023 gets underway.
7: Well, you know, we were expecting some other things out of USDA at the end of last year. Those could still come anytime. Obviously, the mandatory uh, RFID rule for animal disease traceability has been sort of simmering on the back burner for several years now. Um, That has cleared OIRA, so we could see that at any time. Um, you know, there are some things like that that we know are kind of perking in the background. Obviously, work continues on the cattle contract library, pilot program that, that we just saw a final rule on. That implementation is going to be continuing over the next few months. And we're just about to the end of our comment period on that second set of packers the stockyards rulemakings, which will um, obviously then uh, precipitate a, another round of rules there. Um, so quite a, quite a bit on the docket as far as regulatory action is concerned right now. Um, some of which we thought we'd see action on, which means we should see action pretty quickly here in the new year from USDA.
0: That Packers and Stockyard comment period, Ethan, do you remember offhand how long that's open for?
7: Well, it closes January 6th. We're under a 45-day extension, which for 180-page rulemaking with 40-some-odd questions that we've been asked for answers, um, not a a terribly generous amount of time from from USDA to respond to those. Um, We had asked for a six-month extension. We got 45 days. Um, so obviously we'll be ready, as everyone else will be, to file our comments. Um, but it is, it is definitely coming to an end here pretty quickly.
0: And what is NCBA looking for on those Packers and Stockyards, that new rulemaking?
7: Well, you know, I mean, I think we, we continue to be opposed to, to the rulemaking in its current form as we have in previous versions of the GIPSA rules or, or any whatever, you know, the different versions have been called over the years. And, and the concern is always that that kind of rulemaking in, in, in search of a level playing field goes too far and ends up sort of mandating a quality of outcome for producers rather than a quality of access. And, and that's, the, the, you know, that's the, the challenging line they have to walk. This rule in its current form doesn't get there. Um, it opens the door far too wide to litigation. Um, it, it creates a situation where if you, know, you raise cattle a certain way and your neighbor raises them differently and you don't like that he or she got more money for the cattle, um, you know, all of a sudden there's this, there's this path for you to essentially make the claim that um, you, know, you were somehow Uh, you know, discriminated against or wronged in that process. And certainly we want to make sure that that is not happening. But at the same time, we've got to make sure that there's a system in place here that rewards innovation, that rewards, you know, business practice, and that allows producers to excel based on the work they put into their operations. And we don't do that by by creating a a structure that essentially forces everybody uh, to, you know, to to hit the same marks, uh, uh, you know, or suffer penalty of lawsuits.
0: Ethan, that is a fantastic point that you just made. The the mindset perhaps between mandating a quality of outcome versus equality of access. And with this new Congress, it seems like there might be more voices pushing for that equality of outcome line of thinking. How is NCBA prepared to address and, and have conversations with these new folks in Congress?
7: You know, it's always it's always a new a new page in a new Congress. And I'm standing in the Rayburn House office building as I'm talking to this morning. Uh, Congress is being squared in. And uh, theoretically, we're going to have a new speaker today. And, and so, you know, it, it kind of starts everything over again. So you start the education process. And typically, you know, it's important for people to remember that most of these members are not deep in the weeds on these issues. They're dealing with a 1,000 different pieces of legislation. They're dealing with a 1,000 different constituent concerns. So their knowledge base, unless they're deep into industry politics, which some of them are, um, is fairly superficial. So, you know, right out of the gate, you kind of have a new opportunity to educate and help them understand the nuance of this. Uh, and that's certainly what we'll be doing here in the, in the coming weeks.
0: On that, uh, on that front, as we watch the, the leadership discussions on the Republican side kick off, Ethan, are there any issues that you are prepared or NCBA is prepared to push legislatively once Congress gets seated?
7: <laughs> you know, I mean, it's going to be an interesting year. We're not going to see a tremendous amount of, of activity. This is a divided Congress. Um, what we're seeing is a highly divided Republican Party as well. Um, you know, farm bill is going to be top of everyone's mind in the agriculture world. Um, that is a big ticket. That's a lot of money to spend. And and quite frankly, uh, I think there are a lot of concerns about what that spend is going to look like, um, you know, given the fact that I, you know, we have a lot of members coming to the door as newly minted members of Congress that have just flat out said, I'm not voting for a farm bill. I'm not comfortable spending that kind of money. Uh, I'm a no on these packages. So that's a, that's a big lift as well. That's going to be a lot of education that's going to need to be done to help some of these members understand that, you know, the, the nutrition portion of the Farm Bill is a big spend, but there's also a lot of good stuff for agriculture as well, and it's kind of a balancing act. So, you know, it'll be on G.T. Thompson and, and, and the, the really talented team he has at the House Agriculture Committee uh, to work with uh, folks on the Senate side as well and, and, and craft a bill that can that can pass muster with some of those conservatives that, that have kind of put a marker down. Um, whether he can do that or not is going to be really interesting to watch. Certainly... All of us in the agricultural community will be trying to support however we can. Um, But it is an uphill battle given kind of the declarative statements some of these members have made.
0: That's right. And the ag committees, as we look ahead to that Farm Bill negotiation, they are set, right? We know who's who on those committees in this new Congress, right?
7: Well, no, we know theoretically who the leadership is going to be. But the steering committee uh, makes assignments on who actually will populate those committees after the new Congress is sworn in. So we're all kind of waiting this morning for the official business to be taken care of so that the business of really forming the 118th Congress and all those committees can
0: happen. All right, folks. Well, it is underway in D.C. We'll get those updates as those committees shape up and we see how that political leadership could look in 2023. We've been speaking today with Ethan Lane, Vice President of Government Affairs at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. And Ethan, thanks for joining us today.
7: You, You bet. Good to talk to you.
0: And, folks, stick around. When AOA returns, we'll take a look at a couple of other news stories that could move the ag industry. Stay here for more AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up.
8: Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle.
2: I like that too.
8: Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.
5: You are not your diagnosis.
2: A medical chart is not your identity.
5: And vision loss does not define you. Your
8: drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage.
2: An advocate for hope.
8: You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research
5: for
4: the cures we are finding.
2: We're fighting macular degeneration.
5: Retinitis pigmentosa.
0: This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Aaron Rogie, Senior Product Manager, CHS Refined Fuels Marketing, to learn more about the benefits of using a premium diesel formula. Aaron, I've got to imagine those benefits filter through to the end user. What do you expect your users to benefit from as these changes get rolled out?
5: The first benefit to our customers is knowing that the fuel that they purchase will be ready clean and operate as it should when they need it. So whether or not they're storing it in a tank or it sits in their equipment during an off season, because of the enhancements in the detergency, the water management, the filterability, the biostability, as well as um, storage stability, the integrity of their fuel won't be compromised by any um, contaminants or environmental elements. Beyond that, we also know that these enhancements will lead to less downtime, uh, whether that be downtime through clogged fouled injectors, um, or you know a need to constantly change fuel filters due to um, uh, contaminants that are getting stuck in those while they're moving through their fuel system. When a producer, a fleet operator, a construction manager needs that equipment up and running, they need it up and running. They can't have it sitting on the sidelines. So providing a cleaner uh, burning fuel that keeps your system cleaner and your parts better maintained, minimizes downtime. And, And that's really the end game. That's what we're trying to provide to our customers.
0: Absolutely, this equipment doesn't do us any good if it's not running. We've right. been speaking with Aaron Rogie, Senior Product Manager at CHS Refined Fuels Marketing. Aaron, thanks for joining us today.
5: Oh, thanks, Mike, really appreciate it.
0: And thank you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com.
3: Corn is native to the American continent and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the new world in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed.
0: This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
1: Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA.
0: Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA. Ladies and gentlemen, taking a look at the markets today in the commodity trade, we're seeing a lot of red soybeans off 12 to 15 cents, corn down three to five wheat market off as well, seven to 11 cents and weakness over in the livestock markets. One of the stories that's been unfolding that these markets have been trying to unpack is what's happening in China. They, of course, have been rolling back their COVID zero policy, opening up travel, allowing Chinese citizens to leave foreign folks to visit. Visit. And in so doing, they're seeing a very widespread of widespread of COVID uh, by indications, at least in China. But we're also seeing China try to grapple with this changing geopolitical environment. Of course, they are striking deals with Russia, they're continuing to try to maintain friendships with the West. And a week ago, On Christmas, they had a powerful foreign service seminar, and they looked at how Chinese can apply or how the Chinese government can manage their international relations, and there was a comment. There was a speech given by their former uh, foreign minister, Wang Yi. He is the head of the foreign ministry for the Communist Party of China, and he was talking about becoming closer to the U.S., Well, it was announced this week that he has been let go from that position, and instead the Chinese have appointed their their current ambassador to the united states as the head of their foreign ministry now china watchers are saying this is an indication that china is trying to rebuild their relationship with the u.s it will be interesting to see if this follows with any more substantial chinese purchases of agricultural products that's where the chinese have really been stepping in making large purchases of american goods it has been in the ag industry Though with Brazil's crop, that soybean crop, first one coming out of those fields here over the next couple of weeks, we will see the market start to put its focus back on what's happening out of South America. And no doubt, we'll continue to see China form tighter ties with that country, especially given the currency advantages with the real. But we've got some other news coming out of Asia as well that is certainly, I think, worth following globally the poultry industry is grappling with that h5n1 that highly pathogenic avian influenza of course we've discussed it in this country 56 million birds have been euthanized it has spread across europe as well a lot of that poultry sector has been impacted and it's also spreading in asia and that's where some new concerns are developing two recent severe avian influenza uh, infections were reported in a strain that has caused four other human infections in Europe. So the concern is that H5N1, which is passable or transmittable to humans, there has not been any much human impact of this current outbreak. The worry is that perhaps it's mutating or perhaps this new, more dangerous strain is spreading. This happened in China and Vietnam, Uh, So, of course, facts are kind of tough to get. These were both rural residents. It does appear they had been uh, exposed to infected poultry. And uh, we'll see how this all shakes out. But in the meanwhile, the World Health Organization is on the case, keeping an eye on how this looks. And we'll see. We'll continue to track this. Uh, Certainly don't need another headline of, of some kind of virus spreading in the world. Speaking of spreading... One of the challenges ag has faced over the past year has been supply chain disruptions trucking availability having enough folks to move the goods we need to move earlier this year we saw animal agriculture apply to the fmcsa the federal motor carrier safety administration for an exemption from their hours of service rules. Uh, these were designed, as the trucker said, because we just didn't have the truckers. We have to get these animals to processing, to their farms uh, as quickly and as safely as possible. FMCSA denied that exemption. They uh, refused to allow livestock haulers any additional time under the existing hours of service regulation. However, the state of Kentucky has rolled back those uh, hours of of uh, service restrictions. In the state of Kentucky, this order was signed two days after Christmas by Governor Jim Gray, or excuse me, by uh, by Transportation Secretary Jim Gray in, uh, in Kentucky, and it was designed in response to the winter weather. The idea was this cold front is coming. We cannot have livestock out on the open road. This is a temporary waiver of service hours. However, it does remain in effect through 1201 on January 20th, 2023. So those hours of service restrictions for the state of Kentucky are still void there until we get to uh, January 20th, 2023. Looking out at the broader market, of course, we're trying to get a sense of where the economy, both domestically and globally, is going to go in 2023 and I don't think it'll be shocking if you listen to a lot of financial media, but fully 80 percent of Americans believe that 2023 will be a year of economic difficulty. Uh, This was a poll performed by Gallup. Uh, It was released uh, earlier today, in fact, and found that 79 percent of respondents believe the year will be economically difficult. Only 21 percent the year will be a year of economic prosperity. More than 80% of Americans also expect to see higher taxes in 2023, and 65% believe prices will rise at a high rate. Another way of saying inflation is expected to stick around. What was interesting, as we're taking a look at the economy, we're all looking at the same facts and figures as to how things break out, but there is a very big partisan difference in how the two Democrats and Republicans view the future of the US economy, almost 70% of Democrats expect to see full or rising employment, while only 23% of Republicans do fully more than half of Democrats expect the stock market to rise and prices to rise at a reasonable rate. So they expect the stock market to go up and inflation to come down. However, Less than 20% of Republicans had said the same thing. Uh, Gallup says that in their survey of America, they do believe that Americans are greeting 2023 with skepticism and not much expectation that the economic problems we faced last year will come to an end this year. However, there are still some bright spots that we are finding in the economy. And a lot of these stem from folks having that extra cash tucked away, perhaps still in savings, perhaps in a managed money market account, wherever, and they're able to pull them out for those things that motivate them. We'll be talking later on this week with Glenn Tonser, professor at Kansas State, about his meat demand monitor and how consumers are changing their demand for meat. But what we saw this week is that auto sales rose in the month of December, closing in at thirteen percent 2 million units. Folks, thanks for tuning in to AOA. Join us tomorrow. We'll dig more into these markets and the factors that are driving profitability on America's farm. Stay with us. We'll see you then. Thanks a lot. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.